Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley. Before we get into the episode, a quick note that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a digital media company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Cardboard Box Productions and all of the shows it produces at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. You can also subscribe to the Cardboard Box Productions newsletter, Unboxed, which has updates about all the different Cardboard Box Productions podcasts, recommendations for reading, watching, and listening from different members of the Cardboard Box Productions team, and behind-the-scenes updates on some of the shows that we have in development. Today, on Poetry Spoken Here, we are featuring another reading from the Unamuno Author Festival. Back in May of 2019, when travel is something that we all did, I went to Madrid, Spain, and recorded readings at the festival, including this one, with Monica Yoon. Monica Yoon is an incredibly accomplished poet, but before her literary career took off, she was a lawyer. In that life, she was a constitutional fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice, and she directed the center's campaign finance reform project. As a writer... Her poetry has been widely praised and awarded. Her 2010 book, Ignatz, was a finalist for the National Book Award, and her 2016 book, Blackacre, that name is taken from a legal term, was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, was longlisted for the National Book Award, and was named one of the New York Times Best Poetry Collections of 2016. Yoon teaches creative writing at Princeton. You can also find an in-depth discussion of one of her poems, Ursat's Ignatz, in episode 22 of Close Talking, a poetry podcast, which is also, you guessed it, from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. The reading you're about to hear was recorded during an evening celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Civitello Rineri Retreat Program. I wanted to thank everyone for being here and especially for all of the uh, festival organizers who have worked so hard this week uh, to make all of this loveliness happen. Um, And I wanted to start with the the poem that Jorge gloriously translated for the anthology, even though I didn't realize quite when I submitted it how challenging it would be to translate. Um, So the poem is based on um, a Twinkie. Uh, So a Twinkie is like uh, well, Twinkie is a you know snack, a baked snack cake. But in my junior high school, there was this legend that they weren't actually baked; that they were like this white goo that was uh, exposed to a chemical catalyst, so that it grew this kind of golden foamy layer on top of the white. Uh, inner layer, and uh, for some reason I believed this for years. Um, And Twinkie is also an epithet for uh, people who are white on the inside and yellow on the outside. Goldacre. As if you were ever wide-eyed enough to believe in urban legends. As if these plot elements weren't the stalest of cliches, the secret lab, the anaerobic chamber, the gloved hand ex machina the chemical-infused fog. As if every origin story didn't center on the same sweet myth of a lost wholeness. 
as if such longing would seem more palatable if packaged as nostalgia. As if there had once been a moment of unity, smoothly numinous, pellucid, as if inner and outer were merely phases of the same substance, as if this whiteness had been your original condition, as if it hadn't been what was piped into you, what seeped into each vacant cell, each air hole, each pore, as if you had started out skinless, shameless, blameless, creamy as if whipped, passive as if extruded, quivering with volatility in a metal mold, as if a catalyzing vapor triggered a latent reaction, as if your flesh foamed up, a hydrogenated emulsion consisting mostly of trapped air, as if, though sponge-like, you could remain shelf-stable for decades, part embalming fluid, part rocket fuel, part glue, as if you had been named twin, a word for likeness, or wink, a word for joke, or ink, a word for stain, or key, a word for answer. As if your skin oxidized to its present golden hue, uh, present burnished hue, golden, as if homemade. It was challenging. Yes. Como si alguna vez hubieras tenido los ojos bien abiertos como para creer en leyendas urbanas, como si estos elementos de la trama no fueran los clichés más correosos, el laboratorio secreto, la cámara en aeróbica, la mano enguantada como en Ex Machina, la niebla infundida con químicos, como si el origen de toda historia no se centrara en el mismo mito dulce de una totalidad perdida, como si tal añoranza pareciera más aceptable si se empaqueta como nostalgia pura, como si alguna vez hubiera habido un momento de unidad suavemente, luminoso, diáfano, como si lo interno y lo externo fueran solo fases de la misma sustancia, como si esta blancura hubiera sido tu condición original, como si no hubiera sido lo que se transmitió, lo que inundó cada celda vacía, cada agujero de aire, cada poro, como si hubieras empezado sin piel, ni vergüenza, ni culpa, cremosa, como si batida, pasiva, como si extruida, temblando volátil en un molde de metal, como si un vapor catalizador desencadenara una reacción latente, como si tu carne te hiciera espuma, una emulsión hidrogenada que consiste en su mayoría de aire atrapado, como si fueras esponjosa, podrías permanecer estable en las estanterías por décadas, una parte líquida de embalsamiento, otra parte combustible de cohete, otra parte cola, como si hubiera sido nombrado gemelo, una palabra por semejanza, o guiño, una palabra para bromear, o tinta, una palabra para mancha, o clave, una palabra para responder, como si tu piel se oxidara a su actual tono bruñido, dorado, como si estuvieras hecho en casa. And I'm especially happy to be reading here to, uh, 
honoring Chivatella. And, you know, to say that this book was conceived at Chivatella is really to understate the case. Uh, when I came to Chivatella in 2014, uh, I was five years into a diagnosis of infertility, and my husband and I had been struggling with it for that amount of time and had finally given up. And I was in the process of uh, waiting. As soon as I got back, I knew that uh, I was going to begin the process of having a donated egg implanted. And during that five years, I hadn't written. I hadn't been able to write. And I got to Chivatella, and I ate the food, and I breathed the air, and I walked the fields, and I listened to Dana's wonderful art history lectures, and I wrote 25 poems in six weeks. It was the most I've ever written, and um, I'm so thrilled to be going back there in a couple of weeks uh, for another period of rejuvenation, but this was the first poem um, out of those 25 that I wrote there. Um, it's based on a, you know, a picture I had with me. Um, in my notebook, which was a sonogram of what seems to have been my last viable egg, Blackacre. One day they showed me a dark moon ringed with a bright nimbus on a swirling gray screen. They called it my last chance for never-ending life, but the next day it was gone. It had already launched itself into the gray sky like an escape capsule accidentally empty, sent spiraling into the unpeopled galaxies of my trackless gray body. Uh, and this last poem is newer and is in the series I've been working on. It takes a bit of explanation, but this is the last one I will read and then we will have a break. Um, but it is longer, I will warn you. Um, so this poem, um, it is based on two figures, one which may be familiar to some of you, Pasiphae, uh, from Greek mythology, who is the wife of King Minos of Crete. Now, Pasiphae comes from a famous family of witches out of Colchis in present-day Turkey that includes uh, Medea, Phaedra, Circe, they're all out of the same family. And um, so King Minos um, is sent a white bull from the sea. And he is supposed to sacrifice the bull to Poseidon. And instead of doing that, he keeps the bull for his own herds. And in punishment, the gods make his wife, Pasiphae, fall in love with the bull. And so she has Daedalus, who, the inventor who is working for them, uh, make a mechanical cow. And she crouches inside the cow, is impregnated by the bull, and gives birth to the Minotaur, who is later imprisoned in the labyrinth and uh, killed by the hero Theseus. Um, prince Sado will not be familiar to you. Uh, he is the crown prince of, Korea, of 18th century Korea. And Prince Sado uh, is the heir to the throne, and he gets married and gives birth to a child who is a male heir to the throne. And at some point, he seems to go insane, homicidally insane. And he kills and rapes about 100 people, uh, ladies mostly of the court. And there's, um, there's not a lot uh, that can be done about this except by his father, but his father is in a dilemma because if he is to condemn his son as a, as a criminal, then that taints the succession. It taints the grandchild as well as the son, and there will be no heir. 
Um, if he declares the son insane, the same result will obtain. Uh, if the son commits suicide, the same result will obtain. And so what the king does is on a hot July day in Seoul, he orders uh, Sado to appear before him and apologize for his crimes, which Sado does. And then he orders a rice chest to be brought. And a rice chest is a wooden box, it holds rice. Uh, it's about four foot by four foot by three foot. And he orders Prince Sado to get into the box. Prince Sado does, they close the rice chest. Grass is put on top and about eight days later, Sado dies. Study of two figures, Pasifai Sado. One figure is female, the other is male. Both are contained. One figure is mythical, the other historical. To the extent that one can be said to have existed at all, they occupy different millennia, different continents. But to the extent that one can be said to have existed at all, both figures are considered Asian, one from Colchis, one from Korea. To mention the Asian-ness of the figures creates a racial marker in the poem. This means that the poem can no longer pass as a white poem, that different people can be expected to read the poem, that they can be expected to read the poem in different ways. To mention the Asian-ness of the figures is also to mention by implication the Asian-ness of the poet. Revealing a racial marker in a poem is like revealing a gun in a story or like revealing a nipple in a dance. After such a revelation, the poem is about race, the story is about the gun, the dance is about the body of the dancer. It is no longer considered a dance at all and is subject to regulation. <laughs> topics that have this gravitational quality of aboutness are known as hot button topics, such as race, violence, or sex. Hot button is a marketing term coined by Walter Kitchell III in a September 1978 issue of Fortune magazine. The term evokes laboratory animals and refers to consumer desires that need to be slaked. The term hot button suggests not only the slaking of such desires, but also a shock or punishment for having acted on those desires, a deterrent to further actions pursuing such desires, and by extension, a deterrent to desire itself. Violence and sex are examples of desires and can be satisfied, punished, and deterred. Race is not usually considered an example of desire. Both the female and male figure are able to articulate their desires with an unusual degree of candor and specificity. Both are responsible for many sexual deaths. The male figure says, when anger grips me, I cannot contain myself. Only after I kill something, a person, perhaps an animal, even a chicken, can I calm down. I am sad that your majesty does not love me and terrified when you criticize me. All this turns to anger. Your majesty here refers to the king, his father. The female figure is never directly quoted, but Pseudo-Polydorus writes that she casts a spell upon the king, her husband, so that when he has sex with another woman, he ejaculates wild creatures into the woman's vagina, thereby killing her. Although the punishment is enacted on the body of the woman, this punishment is meant to deter the king from slaking his desires. Both figures um, are figures of excessive desire requiring containment. Both containers are wooden. Both containers are camouflaged with a soft yielding substance, one with grass, one with fur. 
Both containers are ingenious solutions to seemingly intractable problems. One problem is political, one problem is sexual. They are both the same problem. They have the same solution. The male figure waits in the container for death to come. He waits for eight days. His son will live. This ensures the succession, the frictionless transfer of power. The female figure waits in the container for the generation of a life. We do not know how long she waits. Her son will die after waiting in his own wooden container. This ensures the succession, the frictionless transfer of power. There are many artistic representations of both containers. The male figure's container is blockish, unadorned, a household object of standard size and quotidian function. Tourists climb into it and pose for photos, post them online. The cramped position of their bodies generates a combination of horror and glee. This, in turn, creates discomfort, the recognition that horror and glee should not be combined, that such a combination is taboo. The female figure's container is customized, lushly contoured. Its contours are excessively articulated to the same degree that her desire is excessively articulated. Artists depict the container in cutaway view, revealing the female figure within awaiting the wild creature. The abject position of the female figure on all fours, pressing her genitalia back against the hollow cow's genitalia, generates a combination of lust and revenge. This, in turn, creates discomfort, the recognition that lust and revenge should not be combined, that wild creatures and female figures should not be combined, that these combinations are taboo. The tourist can climb into the rice chest. The tourist can pose for a photo in the rice chest, then the tourist can climb out of the rice chest and walk away. The artist can look into the hollow cow. The artist can render the contours of the hollow cow, the contours of the female figure. Then the artist can walk away. Both containers allow the tourist and artist to touch the hot button, the taboo. The desire and the discomfort remain contained. Both containers allow the tourist and the artist to walk away. The male and female figures remain contained. Neither container, the rice chest, the hollow cow, appears to have any necessary connection to race. To mention race, where it is not necessary to mention race, is taboo. I have not mentioned the race of the tourist or the artist. The tourist and the artist are allowed to pass for white. The tourist and the artist are not contained. I have already mentioned the race of the poet. But to the extent that the poet is not contained, the poet is allowed to pass for white. I have already mentioned the race of the male and female figures. The male and female figures are contained. The rice chest and the hollow cow are containers. The rice chest and the hollow cow are not the only containers in this poem. Colchis and Korea are containers in this poem. Asianness is a container in this poem. Race is a container in this poem. Each of these containers contains desire and its satisfaction. Each of these containers contains discomfort and deterrence. Each of these containers contains a hot button, a taboo. The tourist and the artist can enter each of these containers. The tourist and the artist can touch the hot button and walk away. Each of these containers separates the slaking of desire from the punishment of desire. Each of these containers is an ingenious solution to a seemingly intractable problem. They are the same problem. 
they have the same solution. Each of these containers ensures the frictionless transfer of power. Each of these containers holds a male or female figure. The name of the male figure can be translated as, think of me in sadness. The name of the female figure can be translated as, I shine for all of you. Thank you. Hey, this is Jack again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Poetry Spoken Here. Though you didn't hear him today, Poetry Spoken Here is hosted by Charlie Rossiter, and it is produced by me, Jack Rossiter Munley. Today's episode was edited by Cardboard Box Productions, Inc. associate producer Astrid Landon. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here at PoetrySpokenHere.com, and you can find out more about Cardboard Box Productions, Inc. at CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. Be sure to like Poetry Spoken Here on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Posey Spoken Here. And if you want to get in touch, you can always send an email to poetry spoken here at gmail.com. To submit to our ongoing Open Mic of the Air series, send a recording five minutes or less of yourself reading one of your poems to open mic of the air at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you.